welcome to the first episode of the Adventure Scholar Podcast. My name is Savannah Rivka, and I will be your guide today. I would like to thank everyone out there for joining us as we launch this exciting new project. Now, as this is our first episode, this will be a bit of an introduction. This episode is titled, What's in a Name? And we will be delving into some of the cultural meanings and practices attached to naming by exploring the names of each of our project members. So you'll get to know each of us a little bit better and uh, our individual backgrounds. We will introduce ourselves in just a moment, but we would like to begin by explaining the name of this project itself, uh, which is Adventure Scholar. Some of you might be wondering what is the intended meaning that we hope to convey with the name Adventure Scholar. Well, an adventure is an experience that typically exposes you to new and unfamiliar concepts. And I believe that when this experience is approached with an open mind, this allows for opportunities to grow and learn. Now, a scholar in the conventional sense is often thought of as someone that is somehow connected to an academic institution um, or doing research. In this use uh, of the term scholar, we're seeking to liberate it. Uh, We want to kind of expand this concept beyond some of the elitism that's sometimes attached to the academic sphere. Um, So that is, we want to broaden this designation Uh, so that it can extend its reach beyond the halls of the university, because that's a space that is inaccessible to some people. So it is with this framework in mind that we approach the concept of the Adventure Scholar. And we would really like to emphasize here that we're not approaching this uh, as if we are Adventure Scholars that are going to teach you, but rather that Adventure Scholar is a sort of spirit that everyone has within them, either waiting to be awakened or engage in, engaged with in, in some kind of way. And I'm, I'm pretty certain that many of our listeners may already be actively uh, engaging with these kinds of ideas and this kind of learning within their own lives and communities. So this is very experiential. So the overall goals and objectives of this project are to embark on a collective journey of learning and discovery. We will be using this podcast as a platform to share our ideas and experiences as a way of engaging with the larger community. So now you know a bit about our project, but what about us, your hosts, the mysterious voices behind the microphone? Well, as I mentioned, my name is Savannah Rivka. I have a master's degree in folkloristics and applied heritage studies, which I obtained at the University of Tartu in beautiful Estonia. As a folklorist, I study the cultural traditions, beliefs, and practices that people carry. Folklore really values experience-based knowledge, so this includes what has been passed down maybe within a family or a community, such as recipes, songs, games, and stories, just to name a few. This can also be what is taught practically, such as how to build a traditional structure or how to play an instrument. And in folklore, oral history is really valued. There's an emphasis on oral traditions. So this would be something that I find very important when considering different cultures and how traditions might be taught or shared and passed down. As a folklorist, I look at the art of everyday life. This is what we refer to as vernacular practices or traditions. And in the background that I come from, which is Judaism, we have a saying, and that is to search for the magic in the ordinary. So it could be said that I'm drawn to folklore because I believe that there is magic to be found in the ordinary. Now, as for today's subject of names... This is very well suited to my field because a name is something that we use on a daily basis, but we often don't give it very much thought. For some people, their name may hold great meaning. Perhaps it represents a link to their family or lineage. It can also have religious significance or symbology. Uh, For some people, it may simply be viewed as a practical aspect of life and, and may not have as much meaning. There is a legally binding element, which in some cases can create problems. This has certainly come up for folks who are transitioning and need to use a different name. 
But this is something I myself have experienced when I have attempted to use a name that is recognized and has been given to me by my religious community, but has no legal bearing in society. When I think of the importance of naming, I'm often reminded of the work of American anthropologist Barbara Meyerhoff. She made a number of very interesting documentary films, one of which even won an Academy Award. Now, in her film titled In Her Own Time, Meyerhoff was dealing with her own mortality. She had recently been diagnosed with cancer, and so what Meyerhoff did was she reached out to the Jewish community for support, as she herself was Jewish. She spoke with a rabbi and asked him to perform a renaming ceremony for her in the Jewish tradition. So this is something that someone would do when they're faced with a great need for change, uh, such as a life-threatening health issue uh, that Meyerhoff was dealing with in this case. The idea is that the renaming would create new energy and give the person a kind of new start on life. So here you can really see the importance that names have um, in a religious sense. Immigration often impacts names for many people um, and even just cross-culturally. Uh, and this is something I've actually seen in my own family. So my grandparents and great-grandparents immigrated to the United States from Europe, and when they did so, many of their names were changed. And this is true for both their first and last names. And this has made tracing them back to their home countries nearly impossible, as I'm sure you can imagine. Uh, my family has been very interested in trying to learn more about our ancestors and where we came from, but unfortunately... A lot of that has been lost in the bureaucratic process. This concept of the lost name or lost ancestors transitions very well into talking about my first name. So in my mind, my first name, Savannah, is something I often think of as my English name or American name because I also have a Hebrew name. I'll talk about that a little bit in a bit. Um, but the irony of of the fact that I think of Savannah as English is, is that it is not at all an English word. Savannah is a word that comes from an indigenous language known as Tainu or Arawak. So uh, these are indigenous people who originate from the Caribbean area, and their origins date back as far as 400 BCE. So they have a very long and rich history. According to the Smithsonian Institute, there are a number of other Arawakan words that are common in the English language. Words such as canoe, hammock, barbecue, tobacco, and hurricane, just to name a few. As many of you may already know, the word savanna refers to an open grass field or plain. Now, I've known for a long time that this name originated from an indigenous language, but one thing that I got wrong was that I had incorrectly believed that the indigenous group that this originated from had been wiped out long ago. This is a belief that many people have propagated in reports, and this includes even scholars and researchers. Um, it's, it's a false narrative of extinction from starvation, disease, and all of the hardships that had, brought, had been brought about uh, in the processes of colonization. Uh, so this was the indigenous group that Christopher Columbus first made contact with during his 1492 voyage. So indeed, they were hit pretty hard. A lot of this data comes from census records. For example, the 1787 census in Puerto Rico lists 2,300 pure indigenous people in the population. But the next census, which was taken in 1802, not a single indigenous person is listed. However, there are some subtleties in the history to be considered here. The territories in which this took place were Spanish colonies. So, when the Spanish monarchy granted freedom to their Indian slaves, this meant that this was to be the case as well in the Spanish colonies. They were supposed to set these people free. However, uh, many of the colonists, as you might imagine, were reluctant to free their slaves, so they found a way around this. What they did was they reclassified them as Africans, which sadly was still considered acceptable to have African slaves during that period. Therefore, they could continue subjugating them as slaves by essentially erasing their indigenous heritage and identity. 
Now, what we find today in these regions is that people absolutely identify as indigenous. It's something that has been part of their heritage and their families for many generations, so there's absolutely continuity. On the census, they have reintroduced the option of identifying as indigenous, and in the 2010 census of Puerto Rico, nearly 20,000 people identified in this way, and in the following census, it was more than 30,000. This is pretty substantial. Uh, the impact of this history has been referred to as a paper genocide, and Taino researcher and author Jorge Baracute Estevez has made the comparison of what happened to the Jews during the Inquisition in Spain. He says, any Jew that did not want to be tortured or murdered had only the option to convert to Catholicism, so they became conversos or converts. This practice applied also to the Tainu Indians who were supposed to be granted their freedom, yet instead it was their indigenous heritage and identity which was stripped away. As a Jewish person, this comparison was very impactful on me, although of course these experiences of indigeneity and being Jewish are very different in nature. Now, as far as I know, my family and my parents seem mostly unaware of this background of my name, this, this history. I myself was told a very different story about how the name Savannah came to be assigned to me. So um, there's familial meaning uh, that's attached to my name. As it turns out, both of my parents are musicians and singers. They actually met each other while they were performing together in a band. And one of their favorite songs that my father still sings to this day is Georgia On My Mind. It's a very beautiful song. Well, I guess they didn't want to name me Georgia, but they did like the song. So as I understood, they decided on Savannah. They thought Savannah was a pretty name. It seems like a rather simple explanation, but when I looked deeper into the background of my name, it turns out I discovered that the, there was quite a loaded history attached to it. The other element of my name I wanted to talk about is my Hebrew name, which I referred to earlier. My full Hebrew name is Rivka Pero, but I typically only use the first part, Rivka. Now, the story of Rivka or Rebecca, as it is known in English, originates from the Torah or the Bible. She's one of the matriarchs of the Jewish people. Now, as one of the founding mothers of a major religion, you would think that there would be a lot of stories and history documented about Rivka, but unfortunately, in my attempts to do research on her, most of what I found is that her story seems to be defined by her role as a wife and a mother. Now, of course, these are very important roles, but I was just hoping I could find more about her personal story and her journey as an individual. One aspect of her story that I did find interesting is that Rivka was the mother of twin sons who went in very different directions. They're often viewed as two people who ended up being um, identified with different nations that were at odds and even warring with each other. Rivka, as the mother of of both of them, was very much stuck in the middle. She wanted to show love and support to both of her children equally and tried to wanted to find a way to bridge the conflict. So I will say this is one element that uh, I find interesting, and I can certainly identify that with that desire to resolve conflict and bridge differences. All of these stories aside, in my own family, I was told that I was named after one of my ancestors, a great aunt, who uh, was really a remarkable woman. She had immigrated to the United States at a young age, uh, but prior to that, I believe she was a tailor or a seamstress. We had a lot of tailors in my family. Um, and so she would travel throughout the countryside, carrying all of her goods on her back in a giant basket uh, that was almost as big as her. This basket had all these beautiful fabrics that she would cut and sell to people. I actually have a photo that depicts exactly what I'm describing, um, which I've made a sketch of that I will be sure to share on our website just so you can get this kind of image. It's really, it's really cool. So she seemed like a very spirited woman, and I actually feel very proud to have this name that connects me with her. Um, unfortunately, I don't have any memory of meeting her, and I will say that typically in the Jewish tradition, 
you only name someone after someone else after that person has passed away. Um, and so there's different traditions around this, and, and it actually became confusing for me as a young person because my father's side of the family, which is Catholic, uh, is quite different. My father and my half-brother both have the same name, and they're both living, <laughs> thankfully. Um, so, But the point there is that there are many different traditions uh, around names and how they get passed on, which I find very interesting. But as I mentioned earlier, sometimes there can be legal or bureaucratic issues around the use of names. Um, I have at time used Rivka as my primary name and uh, even professionally. However, it's really not recognized legally. So in my experience, uh, there have been university systems when I was studying as a student and other bureaucratic systems, they, they would just refuse to acknowledge this name. Um, but as an example that I find rather ironic, uh, the diploma that I just earned in folkloristics and applied heritage does not include the name that I most identify with regarding my own heritage, which is, which is particularly interesting. Now, despite all that, I found that learning about my name has certainly been a journey or, dare I say, an adventure, and one that I really have enjoyed. I hope that listening to this might inspire some of you out there to learn more about your names if you haven't already. Um, and just maybe contemplate what it means to you and what kind of value it has in your own life. Preparation for a renaming. My name feels heavy. I'm going to take it out into the moonlight and hold it against the stars, smudge it with holy smoke, dig a hole into the earth, and cover me till three moons turn black and full again, and low plants cover the scar. I'm going to build a fire, feed it with ghee and seeds and prayers for direction. Take the name and hand it to the flames. Stare into the light until it is ash. I'll scrape it all into a deep red urn, travel the coasts and find a place upon the water. Throw it in. Wash me clean. Hi. My name is Tamika L. Coleman, and I feel excited to be with you all for our upcoming conversations on Adventure Scholar. I wanted to share the above poem with you because I want to offer a starting place for conversations about names. The poem above serves as an introduction point to a small group of poems I've been working on in regards to my name, a kind of personal study. I start with wanting to change my name and by the end kind of reconcile that want with realizing the TLC that I've often called the gimmick my mother gave me might actually be a message. Before that realization, I explore a frustration I have about my name carrying little meaning. I know that is tricky since my mother has a story attached to my naming, and I have of course lived as Tamika L. Coleman for all of my life, but more on that later. I do want to preface moving forward with this portion of the talk by saying I do wonder and want to learn more about what it might mean to be a person who lives with such a name, and in varying contexts. What kind of power resides in names and also naming? Who talks about these things, and does my name indeed fit me anymore? Should I keep it or change? For the record, I am a queer mixed-race person who lives in between things as far as spectrums and identities go. I am interested in finding other people who are studying similar margins and spaces, both academically and outside of academic institutions, and especially in artful and creative ways. We can even say artivism sometimes, or maybe even just for the sake of it. I am a writer, a singer, a practitioner of some healing arts like massage and bodywork. I am a professor, well, adjunct part-time instructor. I am an art dabbler and love to learn and ask questions. My main writing penchant is for poetry, and I am interested most in collaborating with people who are actively creating positive change on many fronts. I hope to be able to talk with some of these people during the course of our podcast. I wrote the following excerpts about my name in a manuscript that's out being shopped to become a book right now. Um, right now as we speak. And um, I wrote about these things because naming is 
fairly important. And a lot of Black texts, um, we talk about um, the importance of names, and, and sometimes it's the stuff that we carry with us from our ancestors or family, um, or sometimes it's a message we're carrying with us as well. And TLC are my initials, and I often joke about that being the gimmick my mom gave me, but I think as time has gone by, I've considered it the message, even if um, sometimes I want to change my name for many different reasons. And I'm just going to go ahead and read this because some of those reasons appear in this um, short of prose piece. The story of my name. At high school graduation, when the principal called Tamika Lee Coleman, I did not budge from the front of the line. I held my breath and ground my foot pads through my dress shoes into the gymnasium floor. The principal looked towards me expectantly, tilted his head a little against the crowd, and pursed his lips. He knocked his head back like it was on a tiny spring, and his eyebrows furrowed an expression of, hey, are you coming? Then he said that foreign name again. It pressed my weight into my toes and made the graduation robe sway, the tassel on the cap too, but I did not step forward. The principal said the name once or twice again with an urgent look on his face, and I still did not approach. He, he, had, told us at gradu he had told us at practice graduation that if someone mispronounced our names on the graduation stage, we should wait until the name was corrected. This was a reiteration of one of the things that my mother always taught. Make sure they get your name right. I saw numerous classmates move forward despite the pronunciation of their names. My heart sank each time. I wanted to grab their shoulders and tell them to wait. I decided I would keep standing there until my name was pronounced correctly, despite the uncomfortable seat shifting of our families and friends in the audience, despite the racket of my heart patter, despite the look on the principal's face, despite the tingling in my toes, my averting eyes and pursed lips, despite the one person behind me who kept telling me it was my turn as they put their hand on my back to nudge me forward. No, I was going to stand there and wait. Tamika, who was that? I looked up and communicated my own expression, a scrunched up combination of I'm sorry and surely you remember how to pronounce my name. I was a high profile kid. Fellow students knew who I was, even if I did run through the halls at lunchtime to hide in the choir room until next class. The principal had announced my name correctly over the intercom numerous times. How could he get it wrong now? I tilted my chin into an uncomfortable shrug and waited, trying not to tap my feet, but I did tap my feet. At that point, the principal limply held the papers full of names. He held himself against the podium with his elbows in an exasperated stance. There were hundreds of names to call yet. Out of the stalled air, something I didn't expect happened. Friends began shouting my name. It's Tamika! It's Tamika! It's Tamika! They said. I smiled to myself and took in a deep breath and waited. The principal motioned for me to come forward again. I waited. The room was a prolonged pause. Finally, he said it. Tamika Lee Coleman. I quick walked towards the podium. I looked directly at the principal and nodded, reached for his outstretched hand, shook it, and accepted my diploma. I heard the room wake up with cheers and clapping. I kept my head down and took my seat, trying to remember to breathe. I listened as the names rolled by with a certain clip, the following applause. I stared into the lap of my silver graduation gown for some moments, and when I could breathe again, I brought my eyes up to watch and clap for the rest of the graduates, and the blood came back to my toes. People ask me all the time if my name means anything special. I found Tamiko during a junior high school project where we had to figure out the origins of our names. I learned that Tamiko is Japanese and means child of the people, which sounds nice. I also found an ad for a porcelain doll in one of my grandmother's National Geographics, whose name was Tamika. This was in the 80s. The ad said Tamika meant palm tree. I was skeptical. In tourist shops, I scoured the racks of name keychains and magnets. I think that once ever I saw Tamika keychain. Almost every time I saw Tammy. By the way, don't ever call me that. 
I found my name on one of those name sites. The site says that Tamika is Afro-Asiatic and has no relation to the Japanese name Tamika or Tamiko. This site has no idea which part of Africa the name comes from. It could be from the Congo or Zambia or Malawi or another Central African state. The name maybe means measure or sweet and came to the United States sometime in the 70s. That's about all anyone knows. I was told that my name kind of sounds like Damaka, which is another name that appeared in the mid-70s and which does not have definite origin or meaning. I once knew a girl named Danica or Danica. I think someone from India told me they'd met a couple of girls named Damaka, which sounds awfully close to the Urdu word for bang or blast. I'm not sure why that is something I know. For some reason, when I introduce myself, half the people hear me think I've said Damaka or Shamika or Shamaka. One person thought they heard Puta. To their credit, I don't think they realized the Spanish, and I was turning away from them when I'd said my name. Often, in return correspondence emails, I see Tamara. I always wonder where the writer saw an R and an extra A. Generally, people quick change the subject when I try to tell them all of this. I can see they think my, expl my explanation is too long. I'm always a little sad that they don't even crack a smile when I say that I've heard my name in a bunch of rap songs. Good morning, namesakes, writes the administrator for a Facebook group called Club Tamika. Her name is Tamika. She has scouted all the Tamikas, Tamikias, Tamikos, Tamikas, on occasion Tamishas, Tamikwas, Tamekias, and just about every version of our name on Facebook. It doesn't matter if the name appears first, second, or as a surname. There's a Tamika surname? We're all invited to join clubtamika.com, a paid site which promises to grant us access to a forum of Tamikas from all over the world. As I scroll down the Club Tamika page, I'm reminded that there's a Barbie doll named after us singing Star Tamika, a doll my mom had gotten me a long time ago as a missing you present. I learned that Coca-Cola created a Tamika can, T-A-M-E-K-A. -A, and that someone made a t-shirt that features a shortened version of our names. It's a Mika thing. You wouldn't understand. I scroll further down the Club Tamika page. There's a YouTube video from the 43rd season of Saturday Night Live with a funny skit by Leslie Jones called Get Woke with Tamika. There's even a Club Tamika book club and an annual Tamika cruise. In regards to the cruise, I can't help but to think about the scene in Being John Malkovich, where John Malkovich, playing himself, slides down the portal into his own person, and every character within this surreal version of a life looks like him, no matter what role they play in the world, and the only word they can utter is Malkovich, but I digress. I haven't gone on the cruise, and with further research, I learned that not many other Tamikas have either. I've shirked the nominal annual fee for Club Tamika and have done my own searching for fellow namesakes. I found a slew of other Tamika Comans, many of whom sing with a quick Google search. One of them sang on the Waiting to Exhale soundtrack as part of a gospel choir. Someone asked me about that once. I remember hesitating and then regretfully telling them it wasn't me. On Amazon, I find Tamika writers and more singers. On LinkedIn, more than 400 Tamikas. Among the careers that are listed, I see that Tamika is a senior analyst, realtor, human resource manager, engineer, librarian, specialist, secretary, consultant, IT tech specialist, engineer, massage therapist, photographer, nurse, bank loan specialist, esthetician, marketer, lawyer, teacher, mental health therapist, social worker, nutritionist, restaurateur, customer service agent, receptionist, nail tech, coder, health professional, security officer, retail professional, tax preparer, face melter, and CEO. Forget the cruise, we could start a whole village. At least two other Tamika Comans have my same middle name. At least one Tamika L. Coleman is queer, a photographer, and writer, like me. I tried t talking with her a few times, but it looks like she's deleted me and hidden herself from the Facebook search. 
Maybe she thought it was as strange as I did. We have too many similarities not to wonder that we're not falling prey to some sort of identity copycat. Hello, my name is Jason Cordova. I'm from Denver, Colorado, and I'm a descendant of mixed indigenous Spanish, Celtic, and Germanic heritage. I'm a graduate of the Metropolitan State University of Denver with a Bachelor's of Science degree in Aerospace Operations. I'm an executive board trustee with the Denver Astronomical Society and a member of the Society for Cultural Astronomy in the American Southwest. I'm a student of Calmecatlan, an institute of indigenous scholarship and praxis, and I have worked diligently to learn from elders and keepers of traditional knowledge. I have long strived to build bridges between traditional ways of teaching and Western science. I'm just as happy to call myself an adventurous scholar as I am a cultural astronomer. A cultural astronomer is someone who studies the ways in which people relate to celestial events and investigates the cultural context of those observances. We often think of these sorts of things as static or part of the past, but there are many ways in which people's relationship to the cosmos can be felt in our contemporary daily lives. It is also important to remember the legacy and heritage of knowledge passed down to us from our ancestors. I think this is a beautiful way to incorporate science and history into social and cultural discussions, and this is certainly what I hope to do here. I'm looking forward to diving into these topics with you all as the podcast progresses. With this episode, we're talking about names, and I, like many of you, have a few interesting ones attached to me. So, what's in a name? My first name is Jason. In Greek mythology, Jason was the leader of the Argonauts, an adventurer and fortune seeker. The original Greek version of the name is Iason, meaning healer, derived from the Greek word Ias, Athai, meaning to heal. I'm not Greek, nor would I call myself a healer per se, but I have always been drawn to learning about traditional healing practices. For example, Curenterismo has played a strong role in my family. Curenderismo is a holistic system of Latin American folk medicine that blends religious beliefs, faith, and prayer with the use of herbs, massage, and other traditional healing methods. These practices address the physical, spiritual, psychological, and social needs of the people who use it. My grandmother and great-grandmother taught me how to use herbal medicines, ways to protect myself from negative energy, and other mystical things. I've always worked very hard to connect with other indigenous teachers to rebuild the base of lost or obscured curanderismo knowledge for my family. Mexica maestro David Atecpetzin Young and Mayan elder Don Miguel Chiquin, for example, have guided my learning about the Mesoamerican calendar system. The Tonal Puali more commonly known as the Aztec calendar, is a complex timekeeping system that is still used today. A curandero with a deep understanding of the calendar can use it to help a person in a way specific to the individual based on their needs. Another prominent way in which the calendar is used is for naming. When a child is born, a specialist doctor or midwife would initiate a ritual that prepared the newborn for introduction into the world. They used the calendar to derive information and interpret the energies of the days surrounding childbirth in order to determine an appropriate name. Often, as a person grows to adulthood, they participate in a coming-of-age ceremony and receive a new name based on a similar process that they experienced as a baby. Unfortunately, due to the way that colonization and assimilization have disrupted these traditions, not everyone is able to receive a name in this way. Some communities provide the opportunity for a person to be given a traditional name in an effort to decolonize and reconnect with a more indigenous way of life. Unfortunately, the story of my naming is far less ceremonious. Jason was quite a popular name in the late 70s and early 80s, and as I'm told by my parents, Jason meant the son of John, according to the baby book that they were using. My father's name was John. My last name is Cordova. Cordova is derived from the Phoenician Corduba and means olive mill by the sea. 
The Phoenicians established an outpost and supply factory where the city of Cordoba sits in what is now Spain. The city of Cordoba was a diverse hub of science, art, and culture under, under Muslim rule as far back as 711 CE. Muslims, Jews, Christians, all lived in relative peace and harmony for 525 years. The Cordoba name was awarded to the individuals who initiated a siege of the city in 1236 CE on behalf of Ferdinand II, Ferdinand III, King of Castile and Leon, marking the end of the Islamic rule over the city. These knights, who were probably Castilian border guards acting on their own initiative, scaled a tower during the night, met with their co-conspirators inside, and attacked the Muslim inhabitants. A bloody standoff ensued between the invading Castilians and the city guards. Word was sent to Ferdinand, who, although surprised by the news, rode out with a hundred soldiers to assist. Upon arriving, the ensuing battle resulted in a victory for Castile. This story set the stage for a tragic legacy of conquest and colonization associated with the name. The unification of kingdoms of Castile and Aragon, ruled by Ferdinand and Isabella, led to the domination of the Iberian Peninsula and rise of the Spanish Empire, a state that institutionalized Catholic supremacy and became a haven for the Inquisition, forcing the conversion, expulsion, and execution of any non-Catholics. Ferdinand and Isabella expanded the empire to the Americas. Numerous expeditions throughout New Spain were led by conquistadors carrying the Cordova name. Through my genealogical research, I have traced my Cordova ancestors with documentation connecting eight generations back, the oldest of whom is Antonio Abad Cordova, born in 1750 at the Picuris Pueblo, a native village of the Tewa, 60 miles north of Santa Fe, and 24 miles southeast of Taos. My great-grandfather, Alejandro Cordova, who was born in 1894, is, born, is buried in San Acasio on the hill above the Catholic Copela de Viejo San Acasio in the San Luis Valley of what is now southern Colorado. Founded sometime between 1849 and 1860 by Hispano settlers near the Culebra River, the adobe and brick mission-style church is the oldest non-Native American religious space in Colorado. On our Instagram, you can see a beautiful painting by artist Jerry Real that depicts three women in traditional Native dresses standing outside this church. Two face the building, and one faces the observer. The artist explained to me that the women represent his mother and his sisters, and it illustrates the complexity of identity among the local community. Although we carry Spanish names, we also carry the complex history that comes with them. My family's history, as told through our name, represents an amalgam of indigeneity and conquest. just wanted to come back together and have a little bit of a discussion about everything that all these different perspectives that we have shared about um, about our names and our personal experiences with the naming uh, process and how we how we identify with that and everything it's been really interesting I really enjoyed these different perspectives and stories um, I think there's a lot of like personal family stories that have come out in this. Um, and it seems like, I know in my case, uh, the, the story in my family, which is a lovely story, is not really connected or grounded with um, the cultural origin of the name Savannah. So that's kind of, um, that's kind of interesting. And I feel maybe that came up a bit for you, Tamika, and your story too. The cultural aspect? 
Yeah, or or just like your family's story being quite different yeah. from like what you were finding. Um, well, my mom named me after a kid she used to babysit. Um, and so it wasn't necessarily a name that was handed down. Like both of my brothers are named after um, grandfathers and um, either an uncle or um, um, or my father. Um, but my name isn't really connected with the family at all, except for my surname. Um, and it's it's a little bit weird. Um, my name's also the only ethnic name. Um, and of course, that's a little bit funny, too, because it's not like, it's not necessarily a name with any kind of tradition. It's It's kind of what I would consider kind of a limbo name, like not having any kind of lineage necessarily, but it's definitely you know, like Afro-Asiatic something. Um, there's not, there's not a whole lot to tell about that name. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It seemed, it seemed like when I, it seemed like you're, uh, the kind of like there was, sometimes it seems like the stories that our families come up with around the name somehow overshadow some, some other aspects of the names we end up with, which is kind of interesting in a way um and for me i feel like the meaning got a bit uh like there wasn't there wasn't an awareness of the meaning of of my name and so that was that's kind of like an interesting disconnect um that was there and but one thing i noticed that i felt like we all have in our stories is some kind of broken lineage and i think Mm -hmm. we've talked about that at some point um, whether it's from colonization or the limitations of Black history and the mm-hmm. impacts of slavery, um, and in my family's case, war and immigration, and, and you know, honestly, I think some of us have like a, a mix of all of those things. Right. Yeah. Which is um, that's really intense. It's something to like when you start looking at genealogy in your family history it's it's really something to contest with and that's something that I definitely have wanted to do is to look at genealogy um because I think like knowing where you come from as much as you can it it does something um to your psyche um and and I think that's why I'm sometimes I'm frustrated with my name because it just like it just doesn't even seem like it 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 connects to anything um what it, it does connect to a story my mom has and then obviously my mom's love for me um you know and it's a name that she liked um comes from a girl she used to babysit um but like um it just it's not the same as like being named after um you know a greek god or like i know a kid named odin um i know a a kid named after someone's favorite sci-fi character um, and, um, I know a lot of folks named after, um, you know, kind of the relatives of note in, in their families and stuff. And sometimes those like carrying those names come with some kind of like responsibility, like, you know, this is the kind of person your grandfather was and, um, you know, like kind of living up to those maybe expectations or, um, those stories and maybe there's some kind of pride tied to it. Um, and my name, uh, you know, I, I know mom would be really bummed if I changed it, but I feel um, kind of disconnected from it. It's something everyone else knows me by, but I don't know if it's my truth, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's really complex. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had an interesting thought pop up for myself thinking about, like, I think uh our experiences may be different. Like I'm thinking of older generations or um, I'm thinking of my grandmother specifically because she was a first generation American mm-hmm. and she had a name uh, from Bohemian culture and language that that's her true name. I don't know where the name came from because she doesn't like talking about it right. um, because for her, it was a very painful experience having that name as uh, trying to fit in in American society and like she wanted she just wanted she didn't want to be bullied she didn't want to stand out that's that's really uh the the heart of it and she 
changed her name and she um, she never spoke her language in front of anyone else again. I think she really she stopped wow. speaking that language all together. Um, you know, and I haven't been able to talk to her about that very much because it's mm -hmm. so painful for her. But I think that in a way we have, uh, so she wanted to change her name and she did. She just took it upon herself. And yeah. um, I don't think she legally did it, but she just told everybody, gave them a different name, uh, told her a different name. Uh, but um, I think we're in a different place where maybe it's it's a, a kind of privilege to be able to explore this. We're taking we're kind of taking the reins of it or maybe we're stepping into our power in a way to try to explore this and um and i think that society in many places i've seen where there are some changes where they're open to that they're mm -hmm. accepting that like what is your name whether it's like for personal reasons or if someone is like transitioning and you know their right. this is their name you know now so i i'm hopeful about about that, you know, thinking about how, I wonder if my grandmother had lived in a different time, if it maybe would have been a different experience for her where she could have been able to embrace that more. I always think of that Saul Williams line, I don't remember which song it was in, but um, there's a line, let your children name themselves and claim themselves as the new day. Um, and I, I love that so much because it's just like, why not? Like a lot of times a name is a gift that was given to us and it maybe doesn't fit anymore, you know? Um, and, um, and that, that is, um, it's hard for the people who are very attached to those names because they have their own certain stories about those names. Um, and I, I know you were trying to get, get to that a little bit, um, like with my mom's story. Um, but, um, it's, uh, it's, it's like super delicate too. Like how, I don't know. I always have this question of like really wanting to change my name for many, many years and like also not wanting to hurt my mom, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and I just, um, I don't know if folks just get to a point where they're like, you know what, forget about it. I'm just doing it <laughs> no matter what yeah. anybody thinks or um, like, or if there is a conversation there, you know, like, Hey, I just want to let you know I still love you, but this name doesn't fit me anymore, and I want to do something different. <laughs> right, and uh, it's something I've thought about in regards to um, my last name because I, I have my father's name, which uh, is a Catholic name, mm -hmm. I guess that's the way I think of it, um, or an Irish name, or a Welsh. Welsh. Okay, mm -hmm. we, we think it's pretty sure it's Welsh. Um, but, um, there was a time I wanted to change my name to my mother's maiden name. Um, but the more I got into genealogy, I had this kind of sadness about the way that, um, the, the, the matrilineal, uh, names are cut off, um, and they're really hard to trace. They right. really are very difficult. So I had a, I had this kind of reckoning. Well, first of all, I didn't want to hurt anybody on my father's side of family, you know, right. to love them very much and connect with them. Um, but then the other thing was like, initially, I thought like I had such a strong feeling about the matrilineal aspect. I was like, that's why I want to change my name to this, um, the, to my mother's name. But I had the realization like, well, that came from her father, you know, right. and, and so I, when I started looking at it, it's really... Um, limited it kind of makes me think of um other naming traditions where a child will take on the last name of the mother and the father that's cool yeah yeah i remember yeah. that that reminds me of um when um my my stepdad was in our lives and um um he was in our lives for a really long time and we accepted him as our father as our dad you know because he really was um playing that role in our lives and and um really kind of the best father we've ever had and um I remember being disappointed when um you know they were thinking about um he was thinking about adopting us um and I mean I I grew up working working um not not like 
you know, we never starved or anything like that, but uh, money would have been an issue um, for um, getting that paperwork and stuff done. And it probably would have felt overwhelming too. And I'm sure there were other issues involved, like, like the um, fact of our step stepbrothers and sisters and things like that. But I just remember really wanting um, to take on my stepdad's name um, just because he was in our life. Um, and um, I did play with that for a while. Like, actually, it wasn't my mom's and my dad's name, but it was both of my father's names that I would, you know, T.L. Coleman Outland or something like that. As as like, I would actually use both names um, and switch them. And then at some point, just Outland. Um, and then, of course, when it got closer to graduation, I had to use my legal name. So, um yeah. Because it never, you know, it never was officially changed. But I know in my heart, that's that's what I wanted. And then I also did feel that obligation, too, of keeping my father's name as well. Um, and um, I don't know. That was, it was just something I thought about. Um, but I I think I'd kind of forgotten it until just now. But it's interesting because I think, I think, um, it's it's definitely a journey people change throughout life and right. so it it seems uh in a way uh that we're more open to these ideas and uh that yeah it's more appropriate but i think it's been a struggle for other people i when you were just telling that story i just thought of edgar Allan poe um because he uh after his uh, he was raised by his mother as a small child, but after his mother died, he was uh, adopted. Uh-huh. And so one of, one of his last names comes from that adopted family, um, and they took care of him. But he, his his relationship with the adopted father in the end was really not good. Yeah. <laughs> but that name is is still attached to him, so that's kind of. Um, yeah and it it's a it's an interesting legacy right and that's i think that's why i get frustrated with my first name is because a name says something hope it 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 it's it, it's always kind of historically been like where we're from or who our people are or what kind of work we do or you know those kinds of things and um sometimes sometimes those things aren't true or even if they are true it's not something we want to carry. Um, you know, I, I had a friend in high school whose name he would scream at everyone and say, it's Jeffrey Damer <laughs> <laughs> because it was spelled exactly the same. Um, you know, so, Dahmer? huh? Yes. As Dahmer. <laughs> yep. Hey, I've got a name. I'm Jason. And I'm born <laughs> on the 13th. <laughs> It wasn't a Friday, Friday, but every few years it lands on a Friday. Yep. So I'm I'm sorry, but you know I feel like I've been quiet this whole time because I've been really listening and and taking in all of what you're saying in the conversation. I'm glad that uh, the the killers gave me gave me an in. It's not at all spooky, but that's very much yeah. That's your style. That's my style. It's a little spooky. But you know, all of this is really, really important. This is really interesting stuff. Um, you know, I think back on like the, the identity of the names and I, I was thinking we spent all this time preparing. I thought a lot more about my last name, but this conversation brought up the first name in quite a few ways. And my and, and you know, you the relationship to the first name and this idea there's this elaborate story behind where you all got your names for better or worse and mine's kind of kind of silly and and like the the baby book my parents had just said that jason wait 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 a book people looked up baby names in a book yes oh my god (laughs) we're gonna have to explain that to the millennials and i yes so for those of you yes there used to be these bound pieces of paper <laughs> anyway, yeah, they 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 said my parents said that in the baby book they were looking at Jason and the son of John. Dad's name is John. I have yet to find anything anywhere that lines up 
to corroborate that anybody else uh, thought that the Jason meant the son of John. That's fine. I like my name. I feel like I've, I've come into it and I actually do identify a lot with it. I've always, I've enjoyed the, uh, you know, the Greek mythology aspect of it. Even now, like, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that uh, the character, Jason, in the story is somebody who I would uh, want to emulate. Actually. Right. <laughs> the story of... Jason, the leader of the Argonauts, uh-huh. uh, to the throne of Iacus, the purveyor of the Golden Fleece. There's a lot of really cool historical aspects to it, though. But it, ultimately, you know, it, it does mean healer. And I think there's a lot of aspects in my life where I am, uh, people come to me looking for help. And, you know, I really, I, I, you know, I identify with that aspect. I really do enjoy it and I appreciate it. Um, and it is a cool name. That's really beautiful. I it's am not cool. a grassland. Yeah, right. That's You're just not a grassland. the truth about me. <laughs> <laughs> but we did go to Savannah, Georgia. We did go and visit. So that I could take pictures next to every single sign that that had my name on it. Mm -hmm. It was exciting. Um, you made me realize, though, that I have a nickname. That, mm -hmm. like, it's savvy. People uh, call hello. me. Yeah, which sounds very <laughs> piratey, and I like. It's a good actually, nickname. Huh? It's a. It's a good nickname. <laughs> I love it, right? I, re I actually really like it. But I got it from, like somebody that i that i've had a really bad falling out with which is kind of funny um <laughs> because i never thought to tell people that was my name or use it as a nickname i was like at a party and this person that at the time i was friends with this person and uh they introduced me like that without even asking me like they knew me as as savannah mm -hmm. and then they just introduced me as savvy and i was like wow that sounds really cool and then i think you know after hanging out with that person for a while, I was like, I like the name. I think I'll keep that. Um, <laughs> well, and that actually brings up, brings to mind uh, a thought of, you know, we talk about the, the name as a gift, right? Right. And from an indigenous way of thinking, they, that name, you know, uh, they say if a, you know, an elder, uh, you know, in the, in the, in the Shika tradition, uh, some other Pueblo ways, there's a lot of ceremony around like choosing the name. The, the elders, uh, the, the midwives, they're the ones who like take this time and they pray about it and think and, and find the name that's going to be right for this individual. Yeah. And then there's even like, you know, they talk about nicknames too, you know, a kid, a child, you know, we're around the ceremony on the fire and a kid calls you something you know that it's not meant to be taken lightly that's something that's like uh, uh you know that's that's a name they're giving you a name so different people can give you names throughout your life and they can very strongly identify with you or you can identify with them yeah whereas you know that maybe not as as ceremonial but that was that, that was a gift to you in a way everyone for joining us for our premiere episode of the Adventure Scholar podcast. Be sure to check out our website at adventurescholar.weebly.com. There you can sign up on our mailing list and you will get notifications about our upcoming episodes. You can also follow us on social media uh, at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now we will be concluding each of our podcast episodes by leaving you with what we're calling a piece to ponder, which is related to our subject we've discussed. So today we talked about how there are many different concepts around naming. And when I was a graduate student, I learned about a small village in northeastern India where there is a tradition of singing names. So each baby is assigned a unique song by birth uh, from their mother. And if you're interested in learning more about this tradition, please check out the link that we've posted on our Facebook page. Uh, there you can find out about, uh, there's a full documentary about this tradition. It's really interesting. And thank you so much for listening, and we hope you will join us next time. <laughs>